Well, it's good to be here in God's house at Porchlight Baptist Church. Enjoyed all the good singing that we had. My throat's about to give out here, but I believe the Lord will help us. He always does. And we're continuing our studies in the book of Romans, our Rooting Through Romans sermon series. This is part number 28. And this morning, uh, we're looking at Romans chapter 8 and verse 30. It is up here on our board, uh, the verses. Let's go ahead and read those. The Bible says, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word this morning. Lord, we're praying that you help us as we continue through this study, this sermon series. Lord, that you'll receive any glory from it. Lord, thank you for those that are here. Thank you for those listening online. And God, we thank you for all your blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, last week we looked at the previous verse, verse 29, and we brought out three things in particular. Those were dispensationalism, which I really just attached to that message to give everybody an idea of what that meant. Of course, that's God working at different times in different groups of people uh, about different things. And so each, each uh, different group or category or people has a, a dispensation period. We are in the grace age or the church age right now. It is a dispensation. Uh, we're not going to preach on that this morning, but uh, we also looked at foreknowledge. That's out of our text there in verse 29. And that's simply that God knows beforehand all things. He is omniscient, mean, meaning he knows all. And then we also looked at predestination, and that is God's choosing beforehand, appointing uh, beforehand those who would be, as the Bible verse says, conformed to the image of his Son. That's what the predestination is. It's conforming people beforehand to the image of his Son. Those that's going to be conformed to the image of his Son, God foreknew that, and God predestined it. And so this morning, as we picked up here in verse 30, it's connected to verse 29, of course. And it, it, uh, we're going to look at three other things here today. We want to look at what it means about calling. It's mentioned, those called. Uh, and justification. We've covered that several times throughout the years. But uh, we're going to look at what that is, why it is, and, and when it happens. And then we're going to look at glorification. It says there about being glorified. Then he also glorified. So we want to look at glorification, what that is, when it happens, and, and why it happens. And so in our opening text, it begins out with that word, moreover. Now that word, moreover, is used 14 different times in the New Testament in your King James Bible. And it, it's used to further the meaning of what was just said. And so here, you could say something such as, and in addition to that, so that's kind of what moreover means. In addition to that, and also, and, but, you could say all those words in place of moreover. And so here it's expounding upon God's predestining people to be conformed into the image of his Son. That's what the last verses just said. Let's read them again. Look at verse 29, and let's, let's read 29 and 30 together. The Bible says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, or in addition to that, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. 
So in addition to God predestining people to be conformed to the image of his son, he also calls them. A calling, that's God's effectual calling. His bidding. His drawing people to himself. That's what that means. To be called by God means that he's calling or drawing you to himself. When a preacher is called to preach the gospel, God's drawing that man to himself to separate him to preach his word. That's a calling. That's a certain calling. Uh, I can say by experience that when God calls you, he truly calls you, you cannot escape God's calling. You'll, you can try. I tried. Uh, it's an overwhelming draw that he puts upon you that you just can't escape from. You can run from it. You can try to do everything but preach. I did that. I tried it all. I, I led the singing. I taught Sunday school. I changed the sign out front. Uh, I worked in the nursing home ministry, visitation, you name it. I did everything possible in the ministry except for stand up and preach God's word because I knew lots of preachers. My grandfather, of course, being a, a very famous preacher here in this, this area, preacher Ed Spencer, my great uncle Adriel, the one that was preaching the day that I got saved, he was a, a very well-known pastor in this area, and so and lots of uh, cousins and uncles and and all these people related to me that were preachers, and I really did not feel worthy to be a pastor or preacher. And so I, I was certain that I was not hearing God correctly or that maybe it was somebody else influencing me to, to think that I needed to preach. Uh, there, there are people that do that. Uh, if you put forth any kind of knowledge about the Bible or Scripture, like a Sunday school teacher, then people automatically assume that you would probably be a good preacher. And so they may do things to try to push you into being a preacher. That happens a lot. There's a lot of people that are pushed into being preachers that were never called by God. Uh, there's a lot of people that think they were called by God because of some kind of emotion they went through or some circumstance in their life that happened to them, and they thought that this was probably God wanting them to preach. I know a lot of people that's been through that. Uh, I've heard a lot of horror stories about a lot of people that, that go through this. Um, I know some men, uh, I, or a young man I know in particular, I went to school with him, went through high school with him at Gibbs High School. This young man uh, was out one night, and uh, he was doing things he ought not to do, and he hit somebody head on and killed them. Well, of course, that, that completely destroyed his life, shook him up, and about two weeks later, he, he gets up and announces that God's called him to preach. And so somebody gave him the opportunity to stand up and, and preach. Well, he fell all apart. He, he, he was not called to preach. He was going through some kind of emotion over the, and guilt, I believe, over the accident and mistook that for a calling on his life to preach the word. Uh, a lot of people had came to him after the accident and were trying to minister to him. And so I believe a lot of that, just he got caught up in that and thought that that was what he needed to do. That was the only time he ever got up and preached, that one time somebody allowed him, and he, he realized no, that's not what he was called to do. But there's a lot of people that mistake a calling on their life to preach, and they'll get up, and they may have heard somebody else preach, and they get excited about it, and they think, well, I could do that. There's some young men that admire other preachers and the attention they get, and so they want to get that attention. 
And so they'll get up and announce a call to preach. They're just caught up in the excitement. I know another young man. He claimed that he was called to, to be an evangelist. And so he tried to hook himself up with every evangelist that came into town. He would get up there and talk to them and, and uh, try to convince them to let him go along with them on their on their evangelistic efforts and, and preach. And uh, he wanted to get all these opportunities to preach and he would beg people, let him preach and stuff. Um, you know, he would get up and, 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 and preach um, in, in the manner that he did. Uh, but it, eventually he understood he was not ever called to preach. He was just looking for the attention. Um, I feel real bad for this, this young man because now he says he's an atheist. Uh, so therefore, we know that God never called him to preach. Uh, but there's a lot of this that goes on today. The calling of God, if you're truly called, you can try fighting against it. And most people that are called to preach are not looking to be a preacher. I wasn't looking to be a preacher. My wife did not marry a preacher. Uh, I've always been involved in church as, as usually a singer. I assume God wanted me to be a singer. Uh, to sing bass or, or lead singings or choirs. I've, d I've done that. But I never wanted to be a preacher, never never desired it. And so when the calling came upon me, I didn't want to be a preacher. I wanted to push it away and not have anything to do with it. I was a nervous wreck. And so, but listen, if God's truly called you, that drawing, that effectual call that he has on your life, you can't resist it. You've got to do it or you will be completely miserable all your life. And uh, let me say this, if God truly calls you to preach, you don't have to go around kicking doors open on your own. He'll open the doors for you. I have never one time in all the years I've been in the ministry ever begged somebody to let me preach at their church, asked them to let me preach. I've never even told anybody that I'm looking for a place to preach. I've never done that. People just come to me. And said, "Would you preach? Would you preach at our church? I could go to a church where nobody knows me, and the preacher will come up and say, are you a preacher? <laughs> How do they know? Do I just look like one because I'm fat and uh, wearing a suit and carrying a King James Bible? I guess. But I went to a church one time. I didn't know anybody in that church, and the preacher comes up to me to around the fellowship time, shaking hands. He said, "Are you a preacher?" And I'm like, "Yeah. Well, I, uh, would you like to come and preach? He didn't even know me. He's going to let me preach. But uh, listen." If God's called you, you don't have to kick open doors and make, make make places for yourself. He will open them up for you. You just all you have to do is obey. Uh, I'm going to get off this in just a minute. I've just got a lot of things here I, I want to cover, but uh, I've seen examples of, of men that say they've been called to preach and they never never go out to preach. Uh, they don't go to churches where they need preaching. Uh, a lot of them stay at these big churches and sit on the pew and listen to other people preach, but they don't preach. But yet they want to tell everybody, I've been called to preach. You know, I'll preach, I'm going to preach, I'm going to preach. They don't go out and, and, and meet anybody. And listen, if you are truly called to preach, you'll go to places where you can preach. If it's out on the street corner, you'll go there and preach. Uh, you can't stop from it. And so uh, just be aware of that. But listen... Here in our text, this is not talking about God calling people to preach, but it's calling those that are going to be conformed to the image of his son. So he's drawing people to him. It's the bidding of the Holy Spirit. And if you're saved today, you've been drawn, you've been called by God to be conformed to the image of his son. 
And if you're saved, you submitted to that calling. Listen to what Paul wrote uh, to the church at Thessalonica. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. It says, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here Paul uses the word chosen instead of predestined. Here to the Thessalonians. Our English translation, King James Bible, uh, translates it to chosen instead of predestined. But it's the same meaning. God has predestined you, called you, and it says uh, by the gospel. That's how God calls people, through the gospel. If you're getting called outside of God's word, you're not getting called. That's how God calls you. Through his word, God calls you. You don't know God outside of this word. No man knows God outside of God's word and what he said. That's the only way you can know him. And so God chose you. You could call it the bidding of the Holy Spirit. And like I said, if you're saved today, God has called you to himself. Um, and it's through, he says, called us through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only gospel. I know there's God's gospel. There's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's all the same. Paul's gospel is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some people say Paul preached a different gospel than the, than the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, no, it's the same gospel. He, of course, expounded upon the, the New Testament and uh, the, the New Covenant. He expanded upon that. And it was not centered only for just the Jews and Hebrews, as most of Matthew, Mark, and Luke are. John is kind of more universal. John is different than the synoptics. But, however, here it means to be called by God means he's drawing you to himself. And if you'll think of this word effectual, his, his uh, action, the action of God calling you is effectual calling. It's the action of his calling you to himself. The next part of our verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 30 it says, in whom he called, them he also justified. Let's look at that word justified there for just a minute. Uh, in a nutshell, justified means to be made free. That's, that's the base definition of justified. Uh, cleared from any wrongdoing. Wiped clean. Your slate has been wiped clean. It's like in a court of law when a criminal stands before a judge and the judge says that your crime has been absolved, your crime has been wiped out, your slate is clean, we've, we've expunged your record, whatever, we've cleared your name, you're free and, and to go. It's the same thought behind that. No punishment involved for you. Your crime is no longer even on the books. And so the criminal did not change, but his state changed. His present being changed. He's still that same criminal that he was that committed the crime. But he's been declared justified or cleared or freed. He didn't change, but his state changed. When you get saved, your state changes. You'll still continue to sin. Don't let anybody tell you anything different. After you get saved, you will continue to sin. If you say you sin not, you are a liar, the Bible says. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We will sin and we will sin daily. Paul said, I'm the chiefest 
of sinners. And that was after he'd been saved many years. So we will continue to sin. We don't change physically. Uh, we're still that same wretched creature that we was. But uh, the new creature inside of us, that is new. And that one don't sin. Your new creature does not sin. The old man still sins and you still battle. The old and the new man battle together. But you are justified, cleared. Your slate has been wiped clean. That means that you can stand free before God. You can't stand before God unjustified. So justified means to be made free. And we're justified through grace through faith. Same way salvation. How you say? It's by grace through faith you say. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Justification is the same way. It's by grace through faith that you're justified. Justification occurs immediately upon salvation. You're justified one time and one time only. You never have to get re-justified. Justification means you've been made free, you've been made clean, and you can stand before God. And that's from the moment you get saved until the moment that you reach heaven. There's no re-justification involved, just as there's no re-salvation involved. You get saved one time, not many times. I heard one guy one time say, well, you know, the third time I got saved, I'm like, what? The third time you got saved? If you think that it took you three times to get saved, I wonder if you're saved right now. I mean, you get saved once and one time only. And people say, well, if you sin, you've got to immediately uh, repent of that sin or you're lost. And if you died before you repented, you'd go to hell. No, that's not in the Bible. And so, sadly, there's a lot of people living scared to death. They, they, they are on pins and needles thinking, if I, if I was to sin and didn't get forgiveness for before I got before I died, I'd go to hell. And so their whole life is, is just in turmoil. That's not what God wants from us. We get saved once, one time. God's not going to hang on the cross every time you get you sin. He did it once. He died once for sin. And so we get saved once. And so we are justified by grace through faith. Remember what we studied in Romans 3 and 28. It says this, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. The same thing it says in Ephesians where it says that you're by grace through faith are you saved and not of works lest any man should boast. And Galatians 2 and 16, the Bible says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So the Bible is very clear. You're not going to do anything to justify yourself. You can't work hard enough, do enough things, give enough money, keep, keep all the laws. You can do everything that you think in your power to do and it won't justify you at all. It's simply by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ. What is it? Faith of Jesus Christ. That's how you're justified. It's by grace. God's unmerited favor toward us. Nothing we've done to deserve it, but God said, I'm going to give you my grace of justification. Where sanctification is an ongoing process that we've talked about, that's your daily walk with God, where you, you walk and you try to conform into the image of His Son, that's your daily sanctification. 
it's an ongoing process. But justification is a one-time thing, and it comes about through God's grace. Listen to what Paul says in Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. Paul says, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lust and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Paul's naming off all these things that they once were when they were a sinner before or before they were saved. All these things we once were, we were all these things before we got saved. Verse 4, But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we've done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Listen to verse 7. That being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So we see there it's all by God's grace, his gift, his, his uh, unmerited favor upon us that we're justified. And it's through Jesus Nothing we've done. Paul said nothing that we, no righteousness of ours because we don't have any, by the way. Any righteousness you have is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Your righteousness is as filthy rags. And so if we were not justified, we could not stand before God uh, innocent because all people, before you're saved, you're an enemy of God. You're his mortal enemy. You, you may say, well, I've always loved God. No, you've not. You, you've not always loved God. It's not until you're saved. We love him because he first loved us. It's what the Bible says. And we know this. Why do we know that we were enemies? Listen to what it says in Romans 5, 8 through 10. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, talking about before we're saved, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him and listen to this, verse 10. For if when we were enemies, and Paul's still talking about that lost man, when you were an enemy, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And so we see that before we're saved, we're God's enemy. We're at war with God. Paul wrote this to the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Here's the key, verse 11. And such were some of you. Were. You were. He's talking to saved people. The members of the church here at Corinth, he said, you used to be this way. Back when you were an enemy, before you were saved, this was you, you bunch of drunkards, effeminate, and abusers, and fornicators, idolaters. You used to be that way. It's what he says. Back when you were. But you are washed. But ye are sanctified. Here it is. But ye are justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So for in order for us to be clean and free before God, we must be justified. Our slate must be wiped clean, and that's done through Jesus Christ. It's what Paul said, through the blood of Jesus. 
That's how we were made justified. By grace through faith, that's how you were justified. By God's promise, by his unmerited favor toward us. So we justification brings us peace with God. It means we're no longer enemies, but we're on God's side. Because we become his children. Your children are not your enemies. <laughs> Sometimes they are. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Your children are not your enemies. And we're not God's enemies. Once you become saved, you become a child of his. All right, so that's justification. So we've looked at now God's calling, and that's his effectual calling, and that is him drawing you to himself. And we looked at justification to mean you've been wiped clean, you can stand innocent before God, and be accepted through Jesus Christ. And so the next thing is in the last part of our verse, verse uh, chapter, Romans chapter 8, verse 30, it says, In whom he justified, them he also glorified. All right, glorification. Now, there are 63 different usages of the term glory, glorious, glorified. Um, uh, there's different, different ways of saying it. They all mean the same. I like Webster's definition pretty well. Webster's 1828 dictionary, which is the best dictionary, by the way, because Webster was a good man. Webster was a Christian. And all of his references, everything that he, he gives examples of is usually a Bible reference, a godly reference. And listen to what he says in his, in his dictionary. He says glorified means honored, dignified, exalted to glory. That's a good defini definition. However, I like Thayer's uh, dictionary very well. Thayer's dictionary defines it like this. To make glorious, adorned with luster, clothed with splendor, to impart glory to something, render it excellent, to make renowned, render illustrious. That's, that's some good definitions and descriptions of what it means to be glorified. You're not glorified right now. Y'all look real pretty this morning, but you're not glorified. Well, we've, we've studied all along about being justified, and we, we talked about sancti sanctified, which is, of course, our present condition that we, we go through our daily walk with God. And, but there's one final step to our salvation. Now, you're saved completely, immediately when you're saved. However, there's one final step that's going to happen in your salvation, and that is when you are glorified. So you get justified, sanctified, and then glorified. You're not there yet. You're going to be one day. So we're foreknown, we're chosen, we're called, we're justified, we're sanctified, and then glorified. Now, we studied last time God's purpose for us to be is to be conformed into the image of his son. That was in verse 29. He predestined those to be conformed to the image of his son. And so this means glorification is when we completely are conformed into the image of God's Son. God's Son is, is all those descriptions that Thayer gave. Uh, splendor, uh, luster, excellent, renowned, um, glory, glorious, all those things. That's Christ. You're not Christ right now. But we are conforming to His image. And one day when we reach heaven, whether we go there in death, we close our eyes in death, and we're present with the Lord immediately upon on your eyes closing in death. Uh, your spirit and soul goes on to the Lord. 
uh, or if you're still alive and, and the Lord returns, comes down in that cloud of glory, and we meet him in the air, and in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, then we will be changed and we'll become glorified. And so uh, there's, there's something else that will be conformed into the image of Jesus, and that is these bodies. These bodies. Now that's going to be something. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. He says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. Uh, I use that a lot of times during funerals. And it's simply Paul talking about our tabernacle. He's talking about these bodies. A tabernacle is a tent. And so this tent that we have, it, it deteriorates uh, through our life. And of course, because of sin, we have cancer and, and uh, diabetes and uh, high blood pressure, sickness. All these things are because of cancer or because of sin. And these bodies, because of sin, will deteriorate. Now, the first bodies that were formed, Adam and Eve, were formed perfectly. Their bodies would never have deteriorated had they not sinned. But because of their sin, and that sin was passed on to us, these bodies are destined to die and rot and decay and disease. But Paul says that we have another tabernacle. We have another house built by God. It's in heaven. It's, it's eternal. Uh, Job knew what it meant to be glorified in body. And Job being what we believe to be the oldest book of the Bible, chronologically uh, in the canon of Scripture, it's not placed at the beginning. Uh, but Job, we believe to be a, uh, a counterpart there with, with uh, Abraham, lived about the same time period. And uh, so, uh, being the oldest book, Job writes this in Job 19, verses 25 through 27. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Job understood that this old body would rot. He said those uh, skin worms would destroy this body. He knew he was going to be buried in the ground, and worms would eat that body. He says, but I'll stand before Christ in flesh. And he's talking about his flesh. He's meaning his spiritual body. That he'll stand before God. But perhaps the greatest teaching of this body we'll be receiving, this glorified body, is found in your New Testament. And once again, it's the human penman Paul. And he writes this in Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. For our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So Paul tells us here that these vile bodies, we all know what vile means, though, it's disgusting, sick, awful. That's vile. He says, these old, awful, terrible, sick, nasty bodies of ours no longer going to be like that. We're going to have bodies like Christ. And it said his glorious body, glorious. 
So no more aches, no more pains, no more blurry eyes. I've got an eye problem right now. My eye is real blurry. This, this I'm going to the eye doctor tomorrow, and hopefully he'll figure out what to do about it. Uh, I believe there's a film underneath my cataract lens causing it, I believe. I'm not an ophthalmologist or whatever they're called. <laughs> is that what they are, optometrists or eye doctor? I'm not an eye doctor, but uh, hopefully he'll figure out what to do about it. Well, We won't have to worry about that in heaven. Our glorified body's not going to have any eye problems. We'll be able to see uh, everything, and we'll see him as he is, the Bible says. And so no more diabetes, no more high blood pressure. I won't be taking a handful of pills every morning. Um, we won't have to worry about taking vitamin B or C or any of those things we've been taking here lately. Uh, no COVID-19 in heaven. Your glorified body cannot contract the COVID. <laughs> um, so no uh, high cholesterol. No vomiting, diarrhea, headaches, all those things that we put up with here because of sin. Because our bodies will be perfect. Uh, in essence, you could say one of the rewards for being a Christian, that's one of the greatest, is a glorified body. Glorification. Now, when do we get these? We've already really said it. Uh, we see from reading our Bibles, when the believer dies, his soul, his spirit departs from the body and ascends into heaven. 2 Corinthians 5, 8, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Paul says, listen, I'm, I'm willing to stay here. I'm willing to go. I'm betwixt between uh, the two. You know, if I stay here, it's going to be helpful for you, and I'm fine with that. But listen, I'd really like to go because it's far better up in heaven. He says up there in heaven, I'm willing rather to be absent from this body and be present with the Lord. So he knew as soon as his eyes closed in death, he'd be right there in the presence of the Lord. Now, history tells us that Paul was taken outside that maritime prison, outside the city. His head laid on a stump and his head was removed. Uh, they cut his head off. That's what, that's what history tells us. The Bible doesn't give us details of Paul's death. Uh, if he's like all the other apostles and disciples and he, he had a terrible, terrible death, a martyr's death, except for a few. John wasn't one, uh, even though they tried to kill him. Uh, but these vile bodies no longer. Uh, our bodies will remain in the ground once we die. We'll turn back to dust, from dust to dust. You heard that saying? You came from dust, you'll return to dust. But your soul goes to heaven in the presence of the Lord. But there's going to be a day when all the dead in Christ shall rise. That's what the Bible teaches us. When the Lord comes, when he returns, all those bodies in the ground are going to resurrect. And they're going to be changed. Listen to what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Now, he's talking to that church at Thessalonica. They're concerned. They don't know what's happened to their loved ones who's already died. Those that died in Christ, they want to know what's, what's going to happen to them. If Christ comes, are they going to remain in the ground? Are they not going to get to go to heaven? Are they not coming along with us? And Paul says, listen, I don't want you to be ignorant here, brethren. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. He says, concerning them which are asleep. He means dead. He says, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Those that have no hope are those that's lost. I don't want you to be sorrowful about your loved ones that's in the ground. I'm going to tell you the truth. Don't you be all uh, tore up like your lost uh, friends are. You need to know the truth. 
Verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So, you know, Jesus died, he's telling them, and he rose again. If we believe that, then also those that are dead, he says asleep here, or the Bible does, those that are dead, if you believe Christ came back from the dead, then so will they, because we're going to do exactly what he did. And he says, Jesus, uh, uh, sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain <clears throat> unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, <clears throat> with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. You see that? When Christ comes and his glorious return, those that are dead is going to rise first, the Bible says. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. No longer ever out of the Lord's presence. Ever. We'll always be with the Lord at that point. In glorified bodies. So when the Lord comes back the second time, all those that are dead asleep in Christ will rise first. All those that are alive and remain, if he came right now, there's probably bodies buried out there in those woods somewhere. They'd probably, they'd probably ascend up to the cloud to be with the Lord, and then we would be next. Then we would go. Uh, that's, that'd be something, wouldn't it? Can you imagine seeing that? I hope I'm alive when that happens. I hope I'm not one of the that dies beforehand. I'd like the Lord to come back during my lifetime. Uh, but the Bible says it's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. Do you know how fast that is? <laughs> That's a blinking. That's not a twinkling. A twinkling you can't even um, measure. A twinkling is just a, a little glitch there uh, in your eye. Uh, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 53, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. So in other words, this old body right here, that one that you've got, that ain't going to heaven. God says, I'm not going to have that thing up here. <laughs> that don't belong up here. It's corrupt. It's vile. And we can't have that. So we've got to change that and give you a new glorified body. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. These bodies are not, uh, does not have immortality. These are bodies that are corrupt. They're mortal. Uh, that's when you call people a mortal, you know. Uh, that means your physical present body. But immortal, has that's the only way you can be in heaven. You can't be here in this corrupt body. And so these present bodies we inherited from the first Adam. The first Adam sinned, and sin passed on along to everyone else. And because of that, so did the corruption of our bodies. And our glorified bodies, though, are inherited from the second Adam, which is Christ. And it's a heavenly spiritual body. Adam's body that we inherited is a physical, earthy, the Bible calls it an earthy body. It's corrupt. 
But the second Adam, Christ, we inherited his spiritual body. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and we'll be finished. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Now, he says, now we are the sons of God. This very moment in time, this present time, you that are saved, you are a son of God. And then he says, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. I'm seeing you like you are now in your vile, corrupt tabernacle, your body, your tent, this corrupt. I don't get to see you right now what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, he's talking about Jesus, Jesus is he, we shall be like him. You ever wonder what your body's going to be like? Your glorified body? It's going to be like Jesus' body. We shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. How great it's going to be one day when we reach heaven. And we have this glorified body. Right now, we're, we're justified. We're sons of God. We don't know what, what we're going to be yet. We haven't seen it yet. But we do know there's coming a day when he will appear. And we'll see him for who he is and what he is. And then we shall be like him. A mind clear and free. Able to think. Nothing's standing in your way. Right now our minds are clouded. We see through a, a glass darkly. It's dim. One day our eyes will be open. They'll be clear. Our minds will be clear. You know, computers, we... we Think about how great they are, and they can store so much information, gigabytes of storage that we have available to us today. These minds are capable of all that, but because of sin, we can't access it. Our random access memory can't reach that. But one day in heaven, these minds will be clear. We'll know all. We'll see all. We'll have minds like his, bodies like his. It's going to be wonderful. We won't have to worry about anything else ever again. How great. All right. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for the message today. Thank you for the promises that you've made us in your word, God, one day that we will be glorified. Thank you for justifying us, Lord, for that shed blood on Calvary's cross that cleared our slates, Lord. Lord, thank you for the sanctification process that we go through on a daily basis. Lord, as we try to conform into the image of Jesus. Lord, I pray that everyone listening today has been saved. If not, Lord, I pray that you'll convict their heart through the Holy Spirit, their need for salvation before it's too late. Lord, their destiny, if they've not been saved, is going to be hell. Lord, they won't receive this glorified body we've been talking about. But Lord, they're going to be destroyed. They're going to be burning forever in hell. Always in pain, Lord, where their worm dieth not. The fire is not quenched. Their thirst will always be there. Lord, we don't want anybody to die and go to hell, and we know you don't. Lord, you said in your word that you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Lord, we're praying for them. Help us be able to reach them. And Lord, may we give you honor, praise, and glory for everything you've done. For these things we ask in the name of Jesus. And amen. All right. Well, it's been a good day in, in God's house. Uh, we'll be here again next Sunday. Uh, however, two weeks from now, we'll be at Northside Baptist Church. I told them I'd come out and preach on the 26th, so uh, keep that in mind. 
But until then, uh, good Lord willing, the creek don't rise. Uh, we'll see you then.